Yeah, it's a very personalized approach, right? That's why some people are get some of like this work for them or that works for well, is it working for you? And so to really listen to your body and I think as the type A person, it's sort of you just keep going, keep going, and you're fine, and then and then you're not fine. And then you you in the body right now, if you're dealing with infertility, like there's something out of balance. Something for you to, to look at and examine and to get help with it. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. So in today's program, we're going to answer a really simple question. And it may be a question that you yourself aren't necessarily asking anymore. You know, if you're in my age group, which I think most of my listeners are, you know, the lovely women over 40, actually most of us pushing 50 and above, we don't really worry about fertility. That's a foregone conclusion. That ship has sailed. However, I often have these conversations with my clients about their children and their fertility struggles. And I do in our clinical practice see young men and young women trying to get pregnant. And we see this explosion in infertility. And so I invited my friend Sarah Clark on today's show. She has written a book called Fabulously Fertile, Supercharge Your Fertility Naturally. She's also a host, a podcast host of Get Pregnant Naturally. And she has her website, fabfertile.com. And the reason why I asked Sarah was just this question. It was so we could really talk about these things that get thrown around infertility discussions like early premature ovarian insufficiency or premature ovarian failure, which is not something that is a absolute science and an absolute, but it often gets thrown around that way. And it makes women go down these fertility pathways out of fear that they might lose the opportunity to reproduce. And so I really wanted Sarah to come on and talk about that. So that's what we're going to answer today. So if you're not struggling with fertility, you probably know somebody who is, and this is the show for you. So Sarah actually found out when she was 28 years old that she was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. She accepted that diagnosis and actually had two children through in vitro fertilization. Years later, she realized that the root cause of her infertility was really based around food sensitivities and gut problems, gut infections. And she ended up going back and getting a life coaching uh, certification with the International Coaches Federation and a health coaching uh, certification from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And she is currently the head coach and she has an entire program around fertility, helping people get pregnant naturally. And that program includes functional testing, the things that we talk about every day, supporting couples to make healthy diet changes, lifestyle changes, and dramatically improve the chances of a healthy pregnancy and baby. And we're going to talk about both men's and women's fertility and what that means. And if you happen to be somebody like me who might be having that conversation with a younger individual, what things you might be able to point that out. So join me today on This Functional Life when we talk to my friend, Sarah Clark. So today we're going to diverge a little bit um, with this functional life with my dear friend, Sarah. Um, You know, a lot of the people that listen to this functional life, you know, they're women in my age group in their 40s and 50s and 60s. However, 
We also may have been through our own fertility issues in our own day and time, but many, many of my friends are worried about fertility with their daughters and sons. And so I invited my friend Sarah Clark on today. And I'm so excited to have you here, Sarah, because I really want to talk about this because I think I think we have an epidemic of infertility and we also have an epidemic of misinformation with infertility. And so I'm so excited you're here. Thanks for having me. I agree. There is a, some some crazy stuff going on there right now with, with the the fertility, uh, yeah, the, the rates of fertility increasing and sperm counts and everything kind of just uh, going sideways. Exactly. Exactly. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got here, because obviously most of us have a story and and I think your story will resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with premature ovarian insufficiency. So the loss of function of the ovaries before the age of 40, I was diagnosed with that at 28. I literally in my early 20s, I had we're having hot like joking. I was in I was in HR at the time and in recruitment joking. I had hot flashes. Well, it turns out I was having hot flashes then I had a regular cycle. So during my 20s or during my teens, my cycle was quite heavy. And then it, it became a regular and then it came, I only came a couple of times a year. I thought that was a good thing. Obviously, that was a sign. There was a major imbalance. I had, yeah, irregular cycles. I had acne. So after having like great skin in my teens, all of a sudden in my early 20s, I started getting acne. And so what did I do? I went to see my physician and he put me on birth control. So obviously that was a band-aid approach. Didn't do anything to rectify the underlying hormonal imbalance I was dealing with. And then I had this like life plan of getting married at 25, which I did. So we just celebrated 26 26 years of marriage last week. Oh my, God, oh my goodness. And then I wanted to have my kids at 28. So shortly before 28, went off the pill. And then my cycles were still irregular and the acne was still there. And I, I also had some yeast infections and sort of some fungal um, rashes as well in my body, which I didn't know any of those were connected. So then I got the diagnosis of premature ovarian insufficiency and was told by the, the OBGYN, really the only chances of you ever conceiving is with donor eggs. And I remember her grabbing the IVF brochure off her shelf and saying, go off to donor eggs. And I was uh, completely in shock at 28. Obviously, that was not my plan of that. I wouldn't be able to have my own biological children. But I went straight into action, didn't didn't have any clue of those other, you know, issues that were going on in my body. And I went straight to the clinic on a list for a donor egg. Back then, like donor eggs, people didn't even know what they were. Now there's more of them because of all the IVF procedures that, that are happening. You've got little embryos that are, that are waiting there, you know, embryo donation and embryo adoption. But so on the first fresh transfer, I was lucky enough to have our daughter and she's 20. And then we had two embryos left over, uh, went back in. I was super stressed, really wanted that to have my our kids close together. That didn't work, went on a separate list for a separate donor and um, was lucky enough on the first fresh transfer to have our son. So he's 17. But then after I had my daughter, my health took a nosedive. I remember like having like nine colds, every cold went to a science infection. I thought it was a great idea to take antibiotics for every science infection completely destroyed my my gut health. I started getting chronic bladder infections or uh, UTIs, chronic science infections. So all the antibiotics kept taking it for that. I had dandruff and toenail infections. I seemed to get every cold and flu, although I wouldn't even have said I was a sick person. I just kept going, but I, my, you know, my immune system was really compromised. And then I was in HR for, for years, like 20 years in HR. And then I, I discovered life coaching is bringing coaching into the, the corporate environment. And when I was in the coaching um, program, that's why I discovered health coaching. And then I discovered all these food sensitivities that I had, that I had no clue. And when I started taking out dairy and gluten out of my diet, later corn, then I figured out I had all these gut infections. So fungal infections and other infections going on in my, my body. I didn't discover any of this till I was 40. So it was too late for me. But then really, 
now focusing on couples similar to me that have been told, you know, premature ovarian insufficiency, diminished ovarian reserve. Typically, the only option is donor eggs. No one's looked at those like missed healing opportunities. And there's so many things we can do to optimize pregnancy success. Like I didn't get a second opinion. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I've sort of gone through this struggle to let people know there's another way of doing this. And it's not just about IVF donor eggs. That can be the path for some, but there's ways to get pregnant with your own eggs. Yeah, which kind of brings me to another question I had for you, because I see it quite a bit in my clinic. You know, women will come in somewhere between, you know, 28, usually a little older than that. And they'll have been told you have premature ovarian failure or ovarian insufficiency. And I'm like, how so? You know, how so? So talk about that, because it's, it's not an exact science, even though it gets presented as such. They, they look at the, you know, if you've got a higher FSH or a low AMH, and they sort of get stuck on these numbers, but it, these these can change. And no one's looking at the missed healing opportunities. Like no one looked the fact that I probably always had a sensitivity to gluten and that was causing inflammation in my body. The fact that I grew up in a household, a house that was in a forest with like a cedar house that was constantly sprayed with toxins for ants. Did that then, you know, predispose me to all these toxins I was inhaling? So everyone kind of has that tipping point. Now, is there thyroid issues going on? So with those diagnoses, especially in the fertility space, and I think in many medical spaces, right, we myopically focus on the diagnosis and then don't realize there's these other little clues that could be a, a clue as to, you know, why you got this diagnosis to begin with. So a lot of the times it's like, here's the premature ovarian insufficiency. Oh, wait, the only option for you is donor egg. Sorry, you are done. And no one realized that maybe the person had celiac disease. Maybe they have hypothyroidism. Maybe they've got blood sugar issues. Maybe they've just gotten chronic stress from life, from actual the actual diagnosis too. The the diagnosis, getting that you know at a, a young age, being told you know you'll never have your own biological children. That in itself is stressful. And many people, you know, I went straight into action because that's just kind of who I am. But many people, I I see like they've gone the opposite of action. They've just gone into like it's hopeless, it's never going to work, and I'm doomed. And so we really believe in a mind body spirit approach to to look at all of that and not just it's stuck on the diagnosis because that's very disempowering. Exactly. You brought up another really good point that I think is, is kind of true. And I would say definitely my younger clientele that I do see, I mean, obviously I, I, my wheelhouse is really with women of a certain season, let us say, but I do see, I, I end up seeing families and I end up seeing younger individuals and, you know, and, and you often attract the type of personality that you are. So I am kind of a hard charging, make decisions, move forward kind of lady, you know, I'm like, Something needs to happen. Let's get decisive and get it done. So I could totally understand where you were, where it was like, hold on a minute. This is my only option. Well, I've only got so much time and I planned on doing this by now. So I need to go get it done. So I think a lot of the women that I talk to, either their daughters are like this or they themselves are like this. And they kind of, they have this timeline in which it must happen. And they're ready to go ahead and jump through all of this sort of chemicalized approaches before stepping back and saying, can I look at what's going on and try and fix that? Would you say, is that a story you hear a lot from your clients? Yeah. You know, they typically are busy professionals. Everything they've done is they've been quite successful. And now, wait, you've been told this. So let's throw everything at this. And typically, it's IVF and pushing either towards getting your own eggs to work or going to donor eggs. And then the, the fertility industry in itself really perpetuates that panic. You're too old. The eggs are too old. You're running out of time. And that's the absolute opposite of what you need for conception of being, you know, receiving and really getting out of that fight or flight and really reducing stress. And so it just gets in this really vicious like cycle of just, you know, not in, not in a good headspace. 
And so that that RE made that well-meaning RE giving you the diagnosis, that diagnosis can get like embedded in our soul. And we don't even, we can't even see that there's another way forward. And so, you know, looking at all the different inputs that, that are affecting your body is is key. But I think the, the industry, you know, it's it is about putting a lot of hormones in your body and and forcing this to work. When when the body's kind of she's yelling, hey, there's there's a problem here. You know, otherwise when we see it all the time, people being being told donor eggs are their only option. They've gone through multiple failed IVS, been told they're a poor responder, nothing will work, and they get pregnant naturally after making this very targeted changes that they're making, but it's it's possible, right? So if it worked for someone, it can work, it can work for you. And I actually thought when I was going through this that other people that had to use going through years of IVF with, you know, with their own eggs, they had it worse than I did because I didn't have to do that. I could just go straight to donor eggs. Obviously, when you think about it, donor eggs would kind of be the last the last option for most people, but that's how I had framed it in my mind. So that's kind of how I like, obviously the framing piece can be helpful. But then through all this, I didn't think I was stressed. I wouldn't have called myself stressed. It's so ridiculous. Now looking back, I'm like, of course I was stressed. What the hell were you doing? Like, you were just told at 28 that you couldn't have children. You know, I'm like on lists and waiting at the mail. This is back waiting for the mailbox for the, you know, the, the history of the donor, the, the donor egg to come in. We didn't even see the, the picture of the person. It was, you know, back before computers, I guess. I can know there's obviously computers 20 years ago, but definitely not what we have now where they can see the, the profile of the, of the person they're selecting. So yeah, it's just, it's being able to listen to your body. And, and it's hard when you're that, like, let's push forward that masculine energy. We're going to go, go, go. But how do we step back to, to listen to our body? Yeah, you know, I always tell people it's the the sex hormones and everything that has to do with sex and reproduction are luxury hormones. And when you're stressed out, and especially if you're a type A, get it done person, you don't know your own damn threshold because you have no idea where it is because you're so used to living in it because you're created if you don't have it. it. Takes one to know one, right? So, but they are luxuries. And so the body very quickly is going to say, gosh, this is not a safe environment. I, I need to make sure everything's cool. And safe means a lot of relaxation and downtime, right? So, so talk a little bit about the things that you look for. You mentioned stuff like gut health and other stuff. So these are all things that if somebody's doing traditional, you know, reproductive efforts with a reproductive endocrinologist, they're not going to hear this. But us in the functional world, we're like, this is root cause. Let's figure out what's going on. So what are the things that you like to do with your clients? Yeah. So we will coach couples, even though we're typically dealing with female fracture infertility, we're, we're always looking at the male, the male as well, even if his semen analysis is fine. We're doing a review of his semen analysis, looking at it through through functional reference ranges, doing a deep dive on the, on their blood chemistry. And many times we're finding it's it we've been saying it's fine, then it's not. So we will start both of the couples off with elimination diet. So it's really the gold standard to figure out if you have a food sensitivity. So we're taking out gluten, dairy, corn, soy, peanuts, eggs, processed sugar, and yes, alcohol for for ten days. Then we systematically have people reintroduce it uh, reintroduce it over the course of thirty days. Then we tweak it further with food sensitivity testing. So the beginning people, many people are, most people are not completely on that sad diet, the standard Western or standard American diet. Many people have already made some changes. So they may be eating a clean diet, but how they could still be eating dairy. They could still be eating corn. A lot of people do the gluten-free and pound down a whole whack of corn. Certainly that was me. Now I know that corn is like one of the worst ones for me. And so when they start to figure out, hey, the food, you know, it'll trigger, food can trigger eczema or people, it'll tr- trigger their brain fog or digestive issues and, and more, then they, they start to feel better because it's not necessarily a sick population that we're dealing with. It's a, it's a population that I don't think really know that they are unwell until they start feeling like awesome. And so we'd start with the diet and then we'll bring in some uh, functional testings. Typically, we'll look at 
gut testing. So we see a lot of people with gut infections, be it H. pylori, so lowering lowering your stomach acid. Um, then you're eating this great diet, but you know your body's not absorbing the nutrients. So we see people with stomach infections, dysbiosis. So either it's like a fungal infection, or we see people with parasites, and you can get them in North America. It's not just like traveling around the world. Essentially, if we see a lot of women that have been on long-term hormonal birth control, so typically like me, you know, the, the cycle goes off, the physician says, here's the birth control, and then that can predispose you to uh, gut infections and food sensitivities. And most times when I ask them, you know, why did you go on birth control? It wasn't for prevention. It was for irregular cycles, absent cycles. They could have had a lot of acne and things like that. So there's usually a, a, a thing to dig in deeper. But yeah, we do the food sensitivity um, the elimination diet, then we'll do some testing, some gut gut testing, food sensitivity testing, just to tweak that even more. And we do some do uh, do some genetic testing, so we can just support with uh, supplements and diet and lifestyle changes. Right. So tell me, so when you obviously go through all these dietary changes, because I'm sure some people you know might be listening to this. If you're my client, you've been around me. Probably your diet's cleaner, and you're not doing gluten anyway. But but some people, I, I would bet that they might in the beginning be very freaked out by going through an elimination diet and those kind of things. I would assume you find, just like I do in clinical practice, that often once we do sort of that cleanup process, there might be this little gamut or cadre of foods that you're not supposed to eat. But the majority of the foods that you do eat could be reintroduced, maybe lessened a little bit, you know? Yeah, we see that. So you take out those top allergens, systematically re- uh, reintroduce them, then we tweak it with the food sensitivity test. Sometimes need to take out the foods for 60 to 90 days. As you heal the gut, work on the gut infections, work on the stress, work on the toxins, then most of the foods you, you can uh, reintroduce. Sometimes if we see, and we do see with premature ovarian insufficiency, diminished ovarian reserve, a theme of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So like we do a, bi- a test from Vibrant America, the Zoomer, we see the gluten just off the chart. And so, and that's a theme we see with, yeah, people just having a very... A, Basically, meaning the whole household has got to go gluten free, and we really need to look at cross reactors like oats and um, some of the other gluten free grains, dairy, and more to really dig into this because it's causing huge inflammation in the body. So that that can be something to to dig into as well. But most of the foods, like you, you said, you can bring you, uh, you can bring back in after you do that targeted work. What other hormones do you tend to look at? Um, you mentioned thyroid. So let's talk a little bit about thyroid because it's. It's key. And I, I would say reproductive endocrinologists sort of look at it and treat it, but it may not be being treated in the way that we would ideally like to see it happen. So let's talk about it. Lots of times people just get very you know, myopically focused on the TSH and being told it's normal. That was the case for me. The TSH was 3.5 and my hair was falling out. My skin was dry as a desert. And obviously that had impacted my fertility. And then no one looked at the full panel. So we look at a full panel, not to diagnose, but to educate and we have a lot of people actually with premature ovarian insufficiency, diminished number of ovarian reserve. We're seeing a lot of Hashimoto's that that, that correlates with that. Uh, we're not diagnosing, but we can see that that how people look at their their full panel and they have, they have antibodies that, that the things are off. So definitely, there's there's a thyroid issue and it's not optimized. And so medication can be part of that. And many people are like, "Oh, I'm taking Synthroid. I'm taking you know a thyroid medication," but no one's doing those those targeted diet and lifestyle changes. And typically with thyroid, you want to typically avoid gluten. And more and other targeted changes. So it could be, you know, the gut, the, the health of the gut and the health of the liver. So looking at that or subclinical where it's not actually the thyroid, it is the, the liver or the gut. We see hypothyroidism, subclinical thyroidism, and Hashimoto's are the ones that we see right along with uh, those diagnoses of premature ovarian insufficiency and diminished ovaries are 
literally, I'd say like 100% of people, there's something going on with the thyroid and they all, a high percentage have been told it's normal and the, and no one has dug deeper. Okay. That's good to know. Do you ever see it with hyper? Not that hyper is very common. It's, it's not, but I was wondering if you ever really see that. Yeah. We don't really see a lot of hyper actually. I'm having someone come on the podcast to talk about that, but yeah, we don't see a lot of hyper um, with that. It's more, more the hypo. Yeah. I just was wondering if it had anything to do with um, infertility, but it is, it is so infrequent compared to, you know, the epidemic of Hashimoto's and just clinical and subclinical hypothyroid today. So, so talk a little bit about mindset too, because I think that's super important because I think you already mentioned, you know, a lot of the times by the time you may speak to them or even they're in a reproductive endocrinologist's office, this is now a new job. This is now a new job and I'm going to put all my effort into it. So let's talk about that mindset and why is that important? Yeah. When we see people also on the welcome call, you know, how many hours a day are you researching fertility? And people tell me one, two, three, like people are researching this four to five hours a day, like Google searching, trying to figure out what do I do? And it's confusing. There's so many generalized recommendations that may have worked for someone else, but you know, are they right for you? And that in itself, like that crazy, because it is a type A, get it done kind of person. So that researching in itself, I'm like, I asked them, how do you feel at the end of that research? Are you feeling empowered or overwhelmed? And it's overwhelmed and then stuck in comparison of what worked for her or them. Why isn't it working for me? So the mindset piece is is key. First of all, with this diagnosis, you know, being able to visualize a positive outcome, visualizing you holding your baby or you seeing yourself pregnant is really key. And so sometimes people just that label gets stuck with them. So we have part of our program, we have nutrition coaches, as well as mindset or fertility coaches. So it's it's equally people get very excited. Oh, we're gonna do the test, the functional testing, we're waiting for the tests to come in. I'm like, it's extremely important to work on those foundational pillars like the diet, the sleep, the movement and the stress management. So working on relationships, you know, 10% of our couples probably are are not in a good spot. Like they're arguing, this has destroyed the marriage. The majority are okay as a couple, but it is like still it still has impacted their marriage in a negative way where it's the intimacy piece has been affected. It's being becoming baby making and rather rather than love making. So the thing that actually brought them joy and you know the helping with your oxytocin, the feel good hormone, they've moved away from that. It's become very robotic and very like it's gonna be done at a certain time. So we work on the the intimacy. We're just actually looking to bring in a, a sex coach as part of our, our program to really help with looking at that intimacy piece because it's so it's so key and people kind of put things on hold. We're gonna wait to do this after we have the baby, put joy on hold. And then feel in their life because it's such a thing that when you when you're trying for a child, be it primary or secondary infertility, it's in your face wherever you go. Like if you're part of a, a church, you know there's families there. You see children, you see pregnant bellies all the time. So it's very stuck in comparison. A lot of triggering. So to be able to help people deal with that, and sometimes therapy is necessary. So we we we, we work with a therapist as well. But the the mindset piece is is critical. And then being able, I mean, you'll see also use some some adrenal testing too to see where you know where your cortisol levels are to see people can see it in black and white. Wait a minute, okay, maybe I'm in complete and utter burnout mode. I'm overwhelmed. It's like we see a lot of you know high like career people, and so the job may have just burnt them out, and so and they may have stayed in the job longer than they would normally have stayed in the job because they want to be pregnant, and then they're still there and they really want to leave, and so it's this whole. Um, vicious cycle. So having someone to actually even speak about this, because many people haven't even told their best friends that they're struggling with this. So just getting it out helps to then begin the healing process. Absolutely. I think that's huge. Now you mentioned also 
exercise and kind of insulin sensitivity, blood sugar. So let's talk about that one because that's a huge problem. I think the latest statistics is 88% of Americans are considered to be insulin resistant because it's riding right along with obesity, which is directly correlated to fertility problems. Yeah, we see that a lot with like as people, we do the genetic panel and we do, it looks at the FSH and then we can see uh, people that have a higher propensity on that for um, like a gene mutation with FSH. So then they could be predisposed to either the PCOS or, or, or POI. And it's not to mean that you're doomed and you're never going to have a child. It's, you know, you need support with that marker and then looking at blood sugar support with that. So we, we talk about this a lot because we, we meet uh, weekly with our, our, our team. And a lot is this blood sugar piece where the stress obviously impacts it. Sleep will impact your blood sugar the entire next day. And really getting a hold on that of how taking that personalized approach. And we have people, if we, if we do flag it as, as an issue, you can use those, those glucose monitors to look at that. And there's also a continuous glucose monitor too. So you need to dig in deeper, but that is, is key to get that, that stabilized. And like if me, I was like hangry all the time. I had vicious sugar cravings, mood swings. So we see that all a lot. And then, then the sleep, my sleep's always been fine, but we see a lot of people coming in with just dysregulated sleep exhausted, wired and tired, waking up at, you know, between two to four, all those sleep issues. And then we work with them for months and the sleep, the sleep starts to come back in line and lo and behold, their cycle starts to come back in line. So the, the sugar piece is, is key. And I don't think a lot of people are, are really aware of, of those. Like when you're hangry, that's not a good thing. Right. Right. Now, do you find that, I mean, obviously if somebody's inactive, that could be a problem, particularly with blood sugar, because that's the best way to dispose of glucose and get your blood sugar to be regulated is by exercising. But what about somebody who might over-exercise? Do you see that a lot? You've got kind of that, I'm a marathoner and I can't give it up because it's my, it's my version of my endorphin rush every day to control my stress. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're saying if, if, you're, if we say to you that you know, we want you to pull back on exercise and you're like, no way, could I ever do that? That's where we need to dig into. So like right now is not the time to train for a marathon to be doing like this vigorous exercise and you're out of breath and can't even talk to the person beside you. And a lot of people use that as their coping strategy of how they deal with stress. So it's like, we want you to do like walking or swimming or like more low, we don't want you to sit on the couch, but more low impact working out. You can still do weights and things like that, but even doing like a lower impact yoga, like a Hatha yoga or, or like restorative yoga, which could be like so slow. You're like, are you kidding me? I'm dying. And that, that is the point for you to, to be able to slow down. And so, yeah, because many people are like, oh, I feel, I feel great after I exercise. Well, how is your body the next day? And that's why doing those, those adrenal tests, they can see that, oh my goodness, my cortisol is completely screwed. And, you know, it may be because of this, ex- this extra vigorous exercise I'm doing. I've kind of been addicted to the high of it. Absolutely. You know, it, it made me think about, you know, how many people just struggle with difficult mechanisms of how we comfort ourselves. And I find the exercise is really hard for that person that's really hardcore. It's like, they're like, you can cut my arms off, but let me continue to do what I'm doing. And it's so very, very important. You talked a little bit about genetics, um, because I use a lot of genetics, obviously, in my practice as well, particularly with my women going through menopausal weight gain and going through my hormone reset program. So I happen to have a genetic mutation that I do not create one of the major antioxidants in my blood vessels very well at all. I have mutations on all of them. And so if I go out and do cardio and I've, I'm type A, so I had to do my triathlons and all that other stuff that I am causing more vascular damage than if I sat on the couch and ate bonbons, quite literally. So like if I want to do cardio, I can only do it once and I can do it you know, for 30 minutes or an hour max. 
And that's it. Because otherwise I'm going to do more damage and I'll be the person dropping dead at a marathon, right? Nobody realizes that unless they do these deeper dives. You have to look. You have to understand how you're wired. And I would bet that oxidative stress is probably playing a role in their fertility too, if they happen to carry some of those other genetics. Yeah, it's a very personalized approach, right? That's why some people are get some of like, oh, it worked this worked for them or that works, but well, is it working for you? And so to really listen to your body and I think as the type A person, it's sort of you just keep going, keep going, and you're fine. And then and then you're not fine. And then you you in the body right now, if you're dealing with infertility, like there's something out of balance. Something for you to to look at and examine and to get help with it. Exactly. So if you were to be talking to someone like myself, you know, probably a mom, you know, of a daughter or son that's working on fertility, arm them with some language, some ways to talk to their children potentially about how to how to go about looking at this in a different way and maybe getting a little deeper in. Because I, I I do have these conversations with my clients all the time. You know, they have maybe family members like their daughter or son that's way more conventional, but they would like them to take a more holistic approach. Let's talk about what ways we, we can have those conversations and make that work. Yeah, like a lot of this, it is leading by example. Some people are like, oh, wait, what are you doing there? You're you're eating a certain way. Oh, what are you doing? And not like, because in the beginning, when I first made these changes, I was on my little high horse preaching and then I started a podcast. So I didn't have to do that. So it is, <laughs> is to lead by example. People will make the changes when they're ready, but it is... I think for like a younger person, it's like, first of all, be, before you go on birth control, right? To look at your, your cycle and really understand your cycle. And a lot of this is not taught in sex ed class, like your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus. We just did a podcast episode with a, one of the people. So one of my team, she's a, she's a fertility awareness expert. So talking about how to track your cycle and looking at that. So you understand how that, if there's something off with it, you can tell, you can tell a lot about your health. And then from other things to look at is, you know, I grew up in this like super healthy household. My parents have been vegans for like 35 years back when it was like not cool. And so their, their health is quite good. They're in their like late seventies and my, my dad's in, I'm going for his birthday tonight, but he's, he's 82. So I, I ate, ate really healthy and then I left and I was like, I just wanted to eat like Campbell's soup out of a tin. I wanted to eat all the crap I didn't get, right? All this junk. And then my health took a nosedive. So it is to know that eating healthy foods does make sense. I took all these antibiotics. So I think if like if you've got something going on and you keep wanting to go to the doctor and having them write a prescription for you to really kind of look a little bit further, like what else can you be? Like for me, it was food sensitivities that were triggering some of these things. So if you feel like taking the pill before you do that, um, it seems to be like when women go off to college, you got to go on the birth control pill. So look at the fertility awareness method. Is that something to look at? Consider how food is impacting your body. Alcohol too. I think people know alcohol is not really the best for you. When I, I, whenever I do a blog or a podcast about alcohol, everyone's like, can I have it? There's certain things where, yeah, you want to maybe have a little bit, but typically on the fertility journey, it's best not to have any. You want to see how food impacts your body and your gut health. But yeah, for someone who was just diagnosed with infertility, I'd be like, before you rush down to IVF and go down that that very expensive path that costs, you know, takes an average of three cycles at an average cost of sixty thousand dollars, I would, you know, work on your sleep. If there's sleep issues, work on your sleep, optimize your sleep, eat food that, you know, doesn't have any gen- genetically modified ingredients in it, like eat whole organic, awesome foods and work on your mindset, like really believe your body is meant to procreate and to heal. And it doesn't need to be pushed for you to spend all this money over there. You can get pregnant naturally. Good. Good. So I'm going to ask the age old question that you probably can't stand asking or people asking, but everybody probably does. What would a, a, somebody trying to recover natural fertility 
obviously everybody's a little different, you know, some people faster, slower, but what's like a legitimate time frame that people should consider? Because again, I'm type A, so I wanted it yesterday. And if I can pay more for it, I want it yesterday, you know? So, so what, what would the journey look like in general? Obviously it could be different for each person. So I, I had Dr. Ben Lynch on my podcast and he was like, why do we, and he's an expert in MTHFR methylation more. And as you probably know, and so he, he was talking about why do we spend, you know, 12 to 18 months planning our wedding? Why don't we spend, and then on month one, we want to get pregnant. Why don't we switch that around? So yeah, 12 to 18 months, but people that have just had a diagnosis and we say 12 to 18 months, you're like, are you kidding me? I want the moment you want to have your baby, start to think about having your baby is the moment you want to have your baby. 28, 38, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. But there is an average success rate around 12 to 18 months. And then that is impacting the health of your postpartum period, the health of your children. And so taking taking the time now, like working on your health, there is never there's no negative side effects for you taking the time right now to work on your health. So either, you know, you'll say to yourself, so so our program is six months, it's a couple's coaching program. So you're saying to yourself after the six months that there's still healing to be done, you keep going. Or at that point, you're like, oh man, I really want to do IVF. We support you doing IVF. Obviously, you know, if there's still some missed healing opportunities, we're working on gut infections, we're working on optimizing your hormones and there's still work to be done, then we would make a recommendation to continue going. But if some people just, depending on you know how old they are too, they may feel they need to rush to IVF. And so each each person is empowered to make steps along the way that feels right for them. But it's like an average of 12 to 18 months. It can be hard when someone says that because that sounds like such a long time. But if you knew it was pot, like the thing is here, there's uncertainty, right? We don't know what's going to work. So we've got a rush. So how do we, if we knew it would work, how would we do this? Would we want to go to IVF and spend all that money and not even look at the, the root cause of why this has happened? Or we want to prepare our body, our mindset, you know, with our partner together in the absolute best way. Right, right. Yeah, I can, I, I can totally see where that's just a hard pill to swallow timeline wise. But then if you're going to think about it, it's like, there's something going on in your body and your body is a garden and your garden is jacked up full of weeds with some really crappy soil. So you got to re like re nourish that garden and it takes a little bit. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good way to kind of look at it. So you have something you want to offer my clients or probably my clients' children and and other individuals if they happen to be a little bit older or people that they know that may be struggling with uh, fertility issues. Tell them a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a uh, free uh, fertility challenge. Uh, right now we're recording this. And so they have uh, summer recipes. I usually have quarterly recipes based on, you know, when they when they opt into it. But um, so right now we have the summer uh, fertility recipes all f- uh, free of the top allergens. But it's not about drinking green juice and starving. You're going to be eating awesome chef prepared recipes. I work, I work with a chef to, pre- to prepare the recipes and eating awesome foods um, that are good for grilling and outdoor outdoor eating. Um, but also optimizing fertility. So you can go to fertilitydietfreebie.com. Awesome. And we'll have that link in the show notes and, and so everybody can go to it and check it out. So Sarah, thank you for coming on. Is there anything you would like to add or anything that people need to know? Oh, I did say this in the very beginning, but she, you do have a podcast. So tell everybody the name of your podcast also, because you've been on for a long time. Yeah. So it's almost like four and a half years now. You can check me out uh, at Get Pregnant Naturally. So we interview functional medicine specialists and nutrition and mindset coaching, all all geared for uh, helping people that are on the fertility journey. Well, Sarah, thank you for being on this Functional Life. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for tuning into this Functional Life. 
You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.